to be LGBTQ plus friendly is to say, you're welcome here. Like you can come here. That's fine. We'll, we'll put up with you almost. We'll take your money. We'll take your business. We're not going to make things hard for you. It's a level of acceptance, but it doesn't really extend much further beyond that. Right. Uh, and particularly in that business context, it, it is very much like, oh, you want to be a customer? Great. We'll take your money. We love that. I think the difference is being LGBTQ plus inclusive is that proactive approach to creating safe spaces and environments and safe uh, spaces and environments are, you know, that's not just physical, you know, that's on your mailing list and on your website and on your live calls, in your podcast, you know, like how are you actually going out of your way to ensure that people in the LGBTQ plus community are feeling safe? seen and celebrated in your business. Welcome to Inclusion and Marketing, the show that's all about helping you develop the skills and insights you need to win the attention, adoration, and loyalty of more consumers, especially those with differences that are often ignored by brands. I'm your host, Sonia Thompson, an inclusive brand coach, strategist, consultant, and someone with a lot of differences. Let's get to it. Okay, I've got another podcast recommendation for you. It's Latinx in Power, hosted by Thaisa Fernandez. It's brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. This podcast features interviews with top-level executives, entrepreneurs, and innovators from Latin America, aiming to demystify the tech industry by providing listeners with insider perspectives and insight from Latin American leaders who have succeeded in their fields. I like listening to this podcast because I like hearing from a broad diversity of voices and hearing from and learning from their experiences. One episode I'm super excited to dive into is the latest one, Lead Generation Journey with Glenville Dixon Jr. Listen to Latinx Empower wherever you get your podcasts. We are approaching Pride Month and many brands are figuring out how to celebrate and support the LGBTQ plus community in a manner that makes them feel seen, supported, and like they belong. So I was delighted to have this really beautiful and insightful conversation with Hank Paul, a queer inclusion strategist. Our convo touches on Pride Month, but it really is a much broader conversation about how brands can be inclusive of the LGBTQ plus community, which of course shouldn't be for just one month out of the year. So without further ado, here's Hank. Hey, Hank. Thanks so much for joining me today. How are you? Hey, Sonia. I'm really well. Yeah, thanks for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Just back from vacation and excited to just be getting back into things, right? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I am excited about our conversation. We've got a lot to cover, but before we dig in, can you just tell the people who are you and what do you do? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, My name is Hank Paul. My pronouns are they, them, and I am a non-binary queer inclusion uh, strategist. And I help businesses to authentically connect with the LGBTQ plus community. That seems to be something that when I speak with business owners and entrepreneurs and, you know, online experts, they often 
are really worried about saying the wrong thing. Yeah. And they're worried about saying something that might offend people or, you know, putting their foot in their mouth and not knowing how to kind of walk back from that. And so the skills that I teach and and the knowledge that I teach is all around building up that confidence to be an authentic ally. Yeah, I think this is such an important topic because I feel like for inclusive marketing as a whole, I think when people are thinking about communities, particularly from marginalized communities, they're just scared to make any sort of mistake. And, you know, I think it's just once people start getting used to that we're all just people. And like, if you think of us as friends, then you get to know your friends over time and you learn the things to say and not to say and all that good stuff. And I mean, this is the beauty of your podcast, Sonia, like the fact (laughs) that just week after week, you are delivering the goods to these people to not feel so overwhelmed when it comes to being inclusive like that. I I just love that your podcast exists, honestly. Thank you. Thank you. No, I know that there's just so much to learn and grow. So if we can all Mm. be doing it together, all the better, right? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So what does it mean to be LGBTQ plus inclusive as a brand? Uh, It's a big question. And Mm -hmm. I think that what I want to start with is this misconception or misunderstanding of the term LGBTQ plus inclusive versus LGBTQ plus friendly. Because I hear that often. And if we're being really honest as well, if you look on Google, you if you have like a Google business listing, you can actually mm-hmm. tick a box to say that your business is LGBTQ plus friendly. Really? Now, I think there is a difference between being friendly and being inclusive. And I'm sure that you'll have some thoughts on this too. So I'm very curious to kind of just like bounce some ideas off you as well, because I think like to be LGBTQ plus friendly is to say, you're welcome here. Like you can come here. That's fine. We'll We'll put up with you almost, you know, like there's, uh. there's not, we'll, we'll take your money. We'll take your business. We're not going to make things hard for you. It's a level of acceptance, but it doesn't really extend much further beyond that. Right. Yeah. Uh, and particularly in that business context, it, it is very much like, oh, you want to be a customer? Great. We'll take your money. We love that. I think the difference is being LGBTQ plus inclusive is that proactive approach to creating safe spaces and environments and safe uh, spaces and environments are, you know, that's not just physical, you know, that's on your mailing list and on your website and on your live calls in your podcast, you know, like how are you actually going out of your way to ensure that people in the LGBTQ plus community are feeling safe, seen and celebrated in your business. And if you can tick off some of those boxes of safe, seen and celebrated, then I would say that's being inclusive. Yeah. Safe, seen and celebrated. I love it. And would you say that safe is the primary need of people who are part of the LGBTQ plus community? Mm, That's a real, I, I don't know. Like, I think that's a really good train of thought. Whether it's the primary need is probably like if we're talking about, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs and what is what is the most fundamental thing? Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. Safety would be it. Yes. And maybe this is where it's like to be LGBTQ plus friendly is well, no, I don't even think to be friendly is to be safe. So I I still think to 
to offer safety is to be inclusive. Yeah. But yes, yeah, starting at safety would be would probably be the best place to start, especially if you've not dived into any kind of queer inclusion strategy before. Yeah. The reason why I asked that question, I've talked to a number of people and I've heard them just talk about like safety just being such an important distinction. Like if I don't feel safe, I'm not going to go. And as I was thinking about it, it made me think a lot about I'm, I follow gluten-free diet for health reasons. And it made me realize that whenever I'm going to a business or a restaurant or something, of course, I want it to be good. Of course, I want to have options. Mm. But first and foremost, it's got to be safe to where I'm not going to get sick if I eat it, right? Like if we can't do that, like none of the other stuff even matters, Mm. right? So Mm. that was kind of what made me think about like, we've got to focus on the primary need that people have from certain communities. And not every community has it necessarily, right? But like there are some where there are certain things, like we want to be consumers, we want to feel seen. Sometimes it's quote unquote, you want to feel normal. But like at the same time, there are certain communities that have got things associated with them that cause that the businesses who want to be inclusive of them, you got to solve this baseline thing first and foremost, before you can even think about others. Yeah, I really like the way that you frame that. And I think that's absolutely right, Sonia. I think that in order for people to even, yeah, get over the line of being ready to spend with you, they've got to feel like you're a safe place to spend that money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For sure. Okay. Um, From your perspective, What's the difference between performative allyship and authentic allyship, specifically when it comes to the LGBTQ plus community? Yeah. <laughs> we see this kind of allyship like pop up in a lot of different places. But yeah, I think like what's the difference for you? <laughs> so I have distilled down, I have a I have an online course, Authentic Allyship Academy. And so in that nice. course, I teach this framework of what is authentic allyship. Because I think so often one of those barriers for business owners and entrepreneurs and I can't say anything because what if I say the wrong thing or what if it looks fake or tokenistic? What if it comes across as awkward? Yeah. So it's like I I have in conversations with people had to I've, I've had to figure out how to teach people what that benchmark is so they can okay. be the judge themselves rather than relying on me every, like yeah. almost on a daily basis, I get a, a message from someone on Instagram. Hey, is this a funny joke or a homophobic <laughs> joke? You know, whether they want to post on Instagram or, you know, like, can you give me advice on this thing that I'm doing? I'm like, if we can equip people to know themselves, mm-hmm. then, you know, you don't have to ask, expect me to do free labor, you know, which I'm sure is, you know, something we've probably both experienced. And and so what's the framework in understanding authentic allyship? And so I would break it down into three pillars and okay. the they all start with A. I love the letter A and everything I'm naming these days starts with an A. So um, <laughs> awareness being number one. So that's taking on that self-responsibility of educating yourself, understanding the issues. It's just being in the know, Right. Number two is around amplification. So at what point is your business prioritizing amplifying the voices and experiences and perspectives of the group that you are supporting? And so from a queer perspective, that's like, are you elevating queer stories? Are you celebrating, you know, queer events and queer holidays and, and doing it in a way that's like putting them at the front rather than just leading with your logo? 
right? Okay, yeah. Um, so amplification is that second one. And so that final one is action. And action is about, you know, if you're happy to talk the talk, then you also need to be prepared to walk the walk. And you and I both know, Sonia, that allyship is a verb. It's about doing something. It's about showing up. It's about using your own voice. It's about, you know, where are you putting, you know, putting your money where your mouth is. And so there's so many different ways that this action can play out. And I teach some of those strategies in my course, but really like that's how I would sum up is your, you know, is your pride campaign authentic? Well, I would ask the questions around what work have you done in regards to awareness, amplification, and action? And nice. if you get all three together, then we're probably somewhere pretty close to being authentic. For sure. Okay. This, this might sound like it's coming from out of left field, but it popped into my head and I don't want it to pop out. So Great. Um, yeah. You, whenever you introduced yourself, you said your pronouns were they, them, right? Mm. And so most companies that are collecting information, you know, sometimes depending on whatever company it is, they might have gender on their form or whatever it is. And it used to always be male, female. And then we started to see male, female, other. Mm -hmm. And then we've started to see male, female, prefer not to say. Like there's been a number of different things. Yes. And I wanted to find out, do you have recommendations for people on what that should look like? And when should they even be asking these types of questions for capture, for data capture? Yeah, I think it's really important to know why you're asking that question and whether that piece of segmentation is relevant. Okay. So let's do an example, a little thought experiment, say <laughs> on this blouse that I'm wearing. Now you can <laughs> see it, the listeners can't, but I'm just going to describe it for a second and say it's a very bright floral blouse that's got puffy sleeves and mm -hmm. I feel and look amazing in it. Trust yes, me when I do. say it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, um, I love to wear clothes that are bright and floral. Like that is just something that I've discovered in the last six months that really helped me express my gender identity outwardly. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like I'm a bright and floral person. So <laughs> Yes. Now, when I buy this shirt, I will typically buy this from a quote unquote women's store or women's section of a store. And if mm -hmm. someone is capturing my uh, email address to put onto a list and to, you know, do some email marketing to me and they ask me my gender and the option is male or female, well, I'm assigned male at birth. And if I'm given that binary choice, which is an uncomfortable question for me to get asked a lot of the time, I'll, I'll select male because I've only been given one choice. That's not my gender, but that is the sex that I was assigned at birth. Okay. And so what that then means is this company can't actually market because they've obviously made some choices in their, in their marketing department and, and business model that there are certain clothes that we market to men and certain clothes that we market to women. We know like there's data showing that 25% of Gen Z, so this is people under the age of 25, 25% um, of Gen Z are expected to change their gender identity at least once in their lifetime. Wow. And so what that says is that gender is not fixed 
and therefore the clothes that we wear are also not fixed. Mm -hmm. And that the correlation between the clothes that we wear and our gender identity shouldn't be so tightly held onto that a marketing department or, or a business is willing to lose marketing to me because they only gave me the option of male or female. So to finish this thought experiment, I feel like I'm going on a, a bit of a tangent, no, but I'm, I'm wrapping it up, is I would rather you ask me much more intentional questions that are more relevant to the thing you're trying to sell me. Are you interested in dresses? Are you interested in suits? Are you interested yeah. in skirts? Are you interested in handbags? Ask me those sorts of questions. They are not gendered. They're gender neutral questions, but you get more insightful information that can then help you segment to send me email marketing that is relevant to things that I might actually buy. Yeah, no, I, I love I love this thought experiment. And I think that you use the word intentional and choice, those two words, and those are at the heart of inclusive marketing for me. It's all about intentionality and choosing who you're going to serve and who you're who you're not, right? Um, because the idea or the expectation isn't that people are going to serve everyone. That can often be a very tall order. However, a lot of instances, people don't take choices. And because they're not making a choice, they don't realize that they really are. They're in, and they're not being intentional about making a choice. They do things like what you were saying, whereas you can be pushing someone away because you're asking questions in a way that doesn't make people feel seen or like they belong. And you just have the opposite mm. impact. So instead of trying to understand more about them, not choosing or making a choice about how you're going to ask these questions or what information you're going to collect can have an impact on mm. the way people feel as you're going through your customer experience. Totally. And I just want to kind of jump in and add that you made that comment around, obviously, you know, businesses and brands can't market to everyone and it's very smart to market to a niche. But mm -hmm. are you asking the question of, am I marketing to everyone in my niche or not? Yeah. Because I might not necessarily fulfill a demographic, you know, understanding of what you, who you think you're marketing to, but it's highly likely that I do fulfill the psychographic needs that yeah. you are marketing to. Yeah. And so have you included me beyond just very binary demographic questions and gone, but who wants to wear floral, bright clothes? And are we marketing mm -hmm. to everyone who wants to wear those floral, bright clothes? And 99% of the time, the answer is no, you're not marketing to me. You're doing a very bad job of that. I do not feel seen or safe. I mean, one of the brands that I absolutely love I was uh, down walking down the main street and they, they have a store and I've never walked in. I've, if I've bought from that brand, I've bought it online. Mm -hmm. And I've got, a, I've got a very fun gender reveal party coming up, Sonia. I've, I'm awesome. coming out as non-binary and having a big gender bending party. Everyone's coming <laughs> as whatever, you know, dress up, whatever affirms your, your gender identity. And so I know that I want to dress up really, really fun for this. And I was thinking about this brand and maybe I'll buy something brand new from them. And I couldn't walk in the store because it's got like literally on the front window, women's fashion. And I go, hmm. I just don't feel, you know, comfortable in that space. And 
Right. It's very easy for them to make just some small changes and then maybe I would have walked out with a $300 dress, you know, like it's yeah. just, yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I'm just like bringing in some examples from very recently in my life. But, you know, then I walked down the road and there was this beautiful vintage secondhand store and I walked in. And what I love about secondhand shopping, aside from the fact that it's, you know, a much more sustainable way of buying clothes, is the clothing is not like, sectioned off by gender you know like the the store is the store and there's no labels anywhere to say this is men's pants and this is women's pants it's just these are all the pants and yeah you just gotta go fishing and I love that because it doesn't it just breaks down some of those barriers for me and so I'm flicking through the dresses and the the shop attendant comes over and she says hey do you want me to put these dresses in the um, change room for you to try on and just that single encounter, I was like, oh, I'd love that. Thank you so much. And right. it wasn't a big deal for her. She, it was just like, I'm helping you out. Clearly you're looking at dresses. Let me take them off your hands so you can keep looking. And I found an amazing dress, Sonia, and I'm going to look great on Friday night. It's going to look hot. Oh, so. I can't <laughs> wait to see the photos <laughs> of everyone, will, right? So. Uh, yeah, of everyone. That's right. Yeah, it'll, it'll be all over my Instagram. That's for sure. For sure. Okay. Well, we'll make sure to link it in so people can go check it out in the show notes, right? So, okay. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. Like trying to remember the name of that guy you just met at a networking event. Was it Ron or could it be Don or John or Sean? Yeah, that kind of impossible. HubSpot's all new service hub can help. Well, with the service solution part, at least. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. With an AI-powered help desk and an AI chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs. In a full 360 view of every customer, so your go-to-market team can keep a pulse on accounts before trying to upsell or cross-sell. Also, you can scale support and drive retention and revenue. And you know what that means. Better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit HubSpot.com service to do more for your customers today. Um, moving along, because there's still so much to cover. Within the LGBTQ plus community, there are uh, several different identities that have unique needs and challenges. It's kind of like whenever people are using the term BIPOC. A lot of people who are within the BIPOC community don't like that term because they're like they're lumping a bunch of people together who have like very different needs and experiences. So should brands be thinking about speaking and serving the different identities associated with the different letters? Or is it okay for them to take an approach of we're supporting the community as a whole and like it's community like kind of, I want to say lumped mm. together, but like, it, it, do they need to be thinking about them as individual or is it okay to do it more like as a whole? I think that, that the answer to that question is probably very subjective to mm. what resources are at your disposal. Yeah. Uh, but I think if I were to simplify that down to what's something that isn't too overwhelming that helps me get my head around it is I'm going to try and paint a picture for people in their minds that if you've got, we know what a Venn diagram is, yes? So we've got two mm -hmm. circles that kind of cross over in the middle. And so one circle on one side is gender, and then 
the the other circle on the other side is sexuality or sexual orientation. Okay. And so if we've got cisgender, so people who identify with the gender that they're assigned at birth, and then heterosexual straight people, cross that over. And in the middle where the overlap is, that is what, what I would say, cishet, cisgender, heterosexual, cishet. Everyone outside of that little overlap is part of the queer community. Okay. I hope I'm describing this well for people mm-hmm. who are listening, but that image really distills it down to there are two brands, two brands, that's a poor choice of word for, for the marketing podcast, but uh, <laughs> two buckets yep. in which when they overlap, cishet is the mainstream dominant default. Yes. Anyone outside that is not mainstream, not dominant, not default. So we can look at it from how are we speaking to people who are not cisgender? So gender diverse, trans people, intersex people, that side of the equation. And then how are we speaking to people who are, you know, not heterosexual? So people who are bi, people who are gay, that side of the equation, right? That's a very simplistic way of understanding it. Okay. But I would say if you can apply those lenses of gender and sexuality to the work that you do, then that's probably a really good place to start. Okay. Okay. All right. Switching gears a little bit um, because we are approaching Pride Month. Mm. And there's a lot of like Black History Month and a lot of other heritage months and celebrations. I think that people have some mixed feelings about the way in which brands are engaging. So what recommendations do you have for brands who want to or are thinking about participating in Pride Month to do it in a way that doesn't make you all make you feel like, please stop? (laughs) Mm, mm. Yeah, I think if we go back to that framework, that authentic allyship framework of Mm -hmm. awareness, amplification and action, it's all well and good to just switch your logo colors to be rainbow. Yeah. But if that's all you do, yeah. like what level of self-awareness have you shown? Uh, what I just did like a little icky face, you know, <laughs> uh, for context. Um, and then, uh, you know, what? who are you amplifying in that? What marginalized voices are you platforming to tell their story and their experience by changing your logo? Not much. And then what action have you taken? Well, you've taken a bare minimum action that has very little repercussion for your brand, right? So I think it's just like applying those principles and going, well, what needs to be addressed within our brand and our marketing campaign that's lacking? And it could be starting at that very beginning of awareness and go, well, you know what, just for Pride Month, rather than doing some external campaign, we're just going to do awareness training for everyone in our organization. Mm -hmm. We're just going to make sure everyone knows the basic LGBTQ plus terminology. We're going to make sure that everyone, you know, we're going to change all our bathrooms to be gender neutral. Like maybe it's just understanding and educating your team. And that's all you do for Pride Month. Maybe you're not getting a lot of kudos, but that's a perfect opportunity for you to leverage a wonderful month. Uh, Love it. Love June. Um, But, you know, and so that could be a starting point for you is great. We're going to use this month to educate ourselves. Okay. If you feel like you've already got that within your company culture, then maybe it's time to move to that amplification stage, which is, you know, who are some of our customers who are also queer and how can we elevate them and their experience with our brand? And, you know, I teach a lot of stuff around like gathering testimonials and uh, reviews from queer people and how do you 
go about like featuring that in, in your marketing. But in doing that, you're saying, look, we still want to talk about ourselves, but we want to do it through that queer lens or through that queer perspective. So that would that could be another way that you do it is just this month we're just sharing customer stories and success success stories from the queer community. And then the the final one is action. So you could go, great, well, we've kind of got all our ducks in a row for, you know, how we run things internally and maybe our marketing is you know, got a lot of representation in it. So now we're actually going to say, let's support the queer community by running a campaign where we're donating a certain amount of, you know, profit to this organization, or mm-hmm. we're going to, you know, run a campaign to, you know, uh, lobby the senators from Texas or Tennessee or whoever's banning drag this week, you know, or right, go to right. a drag show. That's an action you can take that doesn't cost a lot of money. <laughs> Go take your whole team to a drag show and support the queer economy. Like, yeah, there's so many different actions you can take. But I think it's, yeah, don't just, I don't, I don't like seeing brands who put that rainbow flag up and run a campaign that's just like, we celebrate pride. It's like, yeah, but what have you right. actually done? Yeah. Do you feel like if you saw a brand that you were interested in and they didn't have anything for Pride Month, do you feel like you would feel some type of way or is it not so much because you don't really know like the other things that they might be doing internally? Uh, well, I suppose, you know, for those internal things, you know, you're reviewing your policies and making yeah. sure that they're, you know, gender neutral or you're making sure that you're, you're giving parental leave to everyone and it's not just like mothers only, you know, like that sort of stuff. Like you can brag about it. You should tell me about it because I'll like you yeah. more if you do. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But do it because it's the right thing to do. Don't do it because it's just a, you know, a, an inauthentic performative opportunity. Yeah. But yes, I, I will I will absolutely resonate with a brand more when they engage with what's happening in the queer community. But the negative effect of doing it at a performative baseline level and not actually getting into the meat of what it means to support the queer community, then I might then start questioning, well, why did you bother? Yeah. So changing your logo to a rainbow and issuing like a special edition Pride Month product, eh, but talking about, hey, here's a policy that we rewrote that is inclusive of the community and like, you know, because otherwise how would people outside of your company know about it? So those are kinds of the extremes. Okay. I like that. Before we start to wrap up, do you have any thoughts on what brands can do to demonstrate that they are LGBTQ plus friendly, right? Like that's what that's the goal that they're trying to inclusive. LGBTQ plus inclusive. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, inclusive is the higher level one. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? That's what we want to aspire to. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Thank you for that correction. So what can they do to make sure that they're moving beyond friendly to inclusive? Mm. So I would say, I mean, I feel like there's, you know, there's a lot of examples that we've chatted through today and, and there's so many ways that you can analyze your business, review your business and go, what can we do? But there's probably like two really basic places to begin that also then have a really big flow on effect to every decision you make moving forward. So number one is I would encourage every brand to write an inclusion statement and make that public. So an inclusion statement for me looks like something like, 
and I teach, I teach this in my course, like how to write one that's also like very in your brand voice, very authentic, speaks to your, your value proposition as well. Like you want to, you want to make, you know, make money doing this too. I get that, but do it authentically. And you're essentially saying, you know, well, we will support and, and, you know, we, yeah, we celebrate and we support everyone regardless of gender identity, sexuality, race, age, uh, religion, ability, you know, like make it just explicit that you aren't a discriminatory brand. Yes. Um, I come from a wedding industry background and, you know, like people's body size is a big thing of discrimination in the wedding industry. Like if you are not thin and beautiful, then there are brands that don't want to work with you. So I make that explicit in the wedding work that I do of like, no matter your body size, yeah. You're welcome. Right. You'll be safe, seen and celebrated, right? Right. So an inclusion statement is is something as simple as that and you know, make that really abundantly clear on your website, put it on your Instagram every, you know, every 6 weeks or put it in the bottom of your emails, like make it part of your culture that you let your customers know that you're an inclusive brand. And then the second thing that I would do is really go back and evaluate. We touched on this earlier Sonia, but Go back and evaluate your ideal market or, mm-hmm. you know, your, your ideal customer avatar, whatever, however you've kind of structured that and defined that in your brand. And how much are you relying on someone being a default gender or sexuality? Are you assuming or have you made it explicit? Okay. Are you assuming that everyone is going to be a cishet woman or have you made it explicit that? No matter how you identify, whether you are a cis, trans, or femme non-binary person, we've got a product for you. And then go deeper into the psychographics of their needs, wants, and desires, and their fears as well, and, and speak much more to psychographics than demographics. Because demographics are, you know, when it comes to being discriminatory, like that's where the discrimination begins, is when you have siloed your messaging to a single identity. Yeah. Love it. Okay. I think you, you gave an example already of, um, whenever you were shopping and the woman like opened the fitting room for you, do you have any other examples of a specific time when a brand made you feel like you belonged? Um, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, I have so many, I was just like, um, what have I got? What have I got for you? So there is an underwear brand here in Australia who have done a a years long campaign, like over several years, a campaign around de-gendering their underwear. Wow. And they released a line of underwear that was de-gendered and they hired all non-binary models for that campaign. So everyone who was wearing the underwear was non-binary and they were essentially saying like, you can wear this or you can wear that. It doesn't really matter. And so that in and of itself, I loved. Then when I actually went on their website, because I've been following them for a long time and, and really they're a very large brand. I'll, I'll name them. They're, they're, the brand is Bonds. So if anyone okay. in Australia is listening, Bonds, like you'll know it's a household name. And I went on their website and I saw, I went to like, you know, buy some underwear and there was, I can't remember whether it was in the, drop down menu or if it was in the description, but somewhere, oh no, it was the button to purchase. And the button uh-huh. said, buy men's underwear. 
I was like, wait, wait, wait. You've just done this whole campaign around the fact that this is de-gendered underwear and your button says buy men's underwear. And I put a thing up on Instagram and I called them out. I tagged them. I said, hey, hang on. (laughs) You're doing this campaign. You're trying to be gender inclusive and you've got this button. And within an hour, they had contacted me directly and said, we are so sorry. We're getting this fixed. And then like a couple of hours later, I got another message. This has been fixed. It's, it oh, doesn't have that anymore. Fantastic. And so they, they, they were just on it. And that same day, cause then it got me thinking, I'm like, I wonder who else is doing this sort of thing. And Calvin Klein was doing, this was during pride. So Calvin Klein was doing a pride collection and they, it wasn't as explicitly like this is gender neutral, but they just said, celebrate who you are. But at the top of their campaign, it's like men's clothing and women's clothing, like those words. And I'm like, this is, you've not done the work. And, and so I I just contrast the two of like bonds have really done the work. They made a mistake and then fixed it quickly. Uh, And then someone like Calvin Klein, it's like, I called them out as well, heard nothing from them. There was no change, (laughs) you know? So yeah, I, it then builds just this level of loyalty to bonds to be like, ah, I want to support any, any work you do in this space because it's really important and you speak to me. Absolutely. I love those examples. Thank you so much for sharing. A lot of people can learn a lot from, from those. Um, where can people find you if they want to learn more about you, your work, and or even just follow along and see those photos from your party? Yes. <laughs> uh, so I'm at hankpaul.co everywhere online. That's my website. It's my Instagram. It's my TikTok. I'm having a lot of love on TikTok these days, actually. So go go see some of my fashion journey on there. I'm sharing sharing a lot of stuff there. But yeah, I'm I'm working on. I don't know what time this is getting released, but yeah, I've got I've got a launch coming up for my course, Authentic Allyship Academy. You can join the waitlist for that. I also have a podcast, The Values Proposition, nice. and that is uh, where I sit down with my friend who lives in Texas and. We just chat about how to run values-driven business and marketing. And, um, you know, I kind of bring a lot of that, you know, inclusion lens to to the conversation. And what else? I mean, I also have a, a, a little ebook guide that people can download as well. So if you want to learn more about how you can, uh, you know, go on this journey of allyship, I've got the business allyship roadmap. And if you go to hankpaul.co forward slash allyship roadmap, you can download that and that'll help you. Yeah, it's got a lot of value in it. I will have links to all those in the show notes so people can access it easily. Thank you so much, Hank. This has been such a rich conversation. Any parting words of wisdom for people, for brands who want to authentically um, Mm. serve the LGBTQ plus community for both Pride Month and beyond, because of course you can't just do it one month. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, I think my parting words would be, don't fret. If you are worried about making mistakes, you will make mistakes. We all <laughs> make mistakes. So it's actually <laughs> about just embracing that as part of the journey and you'll you'll be fine. But the the fear of making mistakes is not a good enough fear to not do anything at all. Love it. Thank you so much. This has been a true treat. Thanks, Sonia. I've had a blast. Hank had so many cool things to share, and I really learned a lot from our chat. I'm super curious to know what stuck out most to you from the discussion. For me, I just loved his distinction that he made between being a brand that is 
LGBTQ plus friendly versus LGBTQ plus inclusive. We're all about being inclusive over here. So that's definitely the way that we should be going for this consumer group as well as any other that you decide to serve. So definitely let me know what most stood out to you and let's continue the conversation. That's it for today's episode. If you liked it, I would so appreciate it if you would share it with a friend, colleague, and or your network. It really does go a long way toward helping more people be inclusive. Another way you can support the show if you're getting value out of it is to leave a rating and review for it in your podcast player of choice. It really does help a lot. Until next time, remember, everyone deserves to have a place where they belong. Let's use our individual and collective power to ensure more people feel like they do. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you soon. Bye.